0: My mother, the person and the patient, is an original podcast written and hosted by me, for Kuso. This podcast is about my mother, Timira Abdus Samad Mohamed, Ayaya we call her, and that's the Somali word for grandmother, and her great-grandchildren call her Ayaya too, and that is their way of saying great-grandmother. In the earlier episodes of the season, I spoke about my feelings regarding how the healthcare system is not accounting for how people are facing limitations to meet basic needs as they age, especially if that aging comes with some health conditions, in my mother's case, Alzheimer's, but health conditions that come to an elderly is different, and sometimes it's basically the aging of the body that causes their limitations to tend to their basic needs. But now, in the last few weeks, dealing with my daughter's murder and events that followed, I am rethinking that approach and adjusting my statement now. The healthcare system does not account for the vulnerable population. The only time it accounts for vulnerable population is children. In the mindset that the children are the future of tomorrow, and when you are in the working age, between the age of 18, 19 to 64, 65, the healthcare accounts for you, but that is also, for the most part, when you are your healthiest, and you're not really depending on the system as much, and you are cognitively available Advocate for yourself. But once you fall off that group of people from children to the working years where you are contributing monetarily to the society by working and paying taxes. So once you are not in that category and you are a vulnerable group, you are not accounted for. And I say that because every step of the way trying to take care of my mother had been a challenge from having a nurse or a doctor come to the house to see my mother because she's not mobile anymore, getting uh, personal support workers coming in, taking care of my mother with me. And the answer, as I had mentioned in a previous episode, was if you can't do it, put her in a home as if that is the answer that would take care of my mother, as if putting her in a home is the solution to the problem, as if that was the best option for my mother. And the fact that I am not putting her in a home, the fact that I wanted to take care of her at home and demanding what she needs to get from the system, whether that's a nursing support, the doctors that do house calls, personal support work, all those things, I have to fight, write emails, and make phone calls in order to account for that. Um So those are the challenges that I face. And even I had an episode where I talked about where Revenue Canada told me, because your mother lives with you in the same house, you are not going to be able to claim The money that you spend, because I have to have somebody to be in my house to take care of my mother during the day while I'm working, that's the only way for me to go to work. The only way for me to keep roof over my mother and I's head. And um, and I was told, you cannot claim the money you spend. You could imagine I have somebody in my house seven hours a day. To, so I have to pay for that seven hours. So even if I pay minimum wage, you could stand the amount is staggering. But I am told you cannot claim that. But if my mother didn't live with me and she lived in a nursing home and I was paying for the nursing home, I could claim that same amount on my taxes dollar for dollar. So you could see how that doesn't work. And when it comes to my daughter, who was trying so many times to leave very violent marriage, I couldn't advocate for her, even though clearly my daughter wasn't fully cognitively available because of the trauma she had suffered to advocate for herself. And I was not listened to when I reached out to her medical providers and told them, my daughter might not tell you this, but just listen to me, hear me out of the whole story, my part of it. And the answer was, we have to protect her privacy. Mind you, I'm not asking anybody to tell me what my daughter had said, because I don't need to know that. That's not my goal. My goal is to add to what she had told them so they get the full picture of things. My daughter is either too embarrassed or too traumatized to talk about and what is the issue if I am only telling you this is what happened yesterday and this is what happened the day before. You could even take that information and try to confirm it with, with the patient and see if, if my points make sense to you or it will at the very least allow you to give my daughter or any other woman in that compromised place to get the big picture for somebody outside the family and friends to say, this is where this is headed. Just so you are aware of the situation you're in. If you have been here yesterday and you're here today, this is where you could be tomorrow. But I wasn't afforded that opportunity to tell the medical care providers, this is what's happening with my daughter. But ironically, as soon as my daughter was murdered, all those files that I couldn't add to before became mine. And... I had to give consent to all the agencies that were investigating her case. I don't care for those files now because when they could have done something for my daughter, I wasn't allowed to add to them. But now I can take the entire thing. So you could see the irony. Same thing with my mother. If I put my mother in a nursing home, then I could get all the benefits That I need, including tax breaks and the break for me not to physically taking care of my mother. But now I am taking care of my mother, helping the healthcare system because my mother is healthier because she is with her family and happier because she is with her family. My mother had gone to the hospital twice for the last twelve years that she'd be living with Alzheimer's, and in her entire time living in Canada, she had been in the hospital for five times and three of those times she was there for elective surgery. And I am a firm believer all that is happening because she is at home and she gets one-on-one care and she is with her family all the time but the healthcare system is not set up to support me so I can take care of my mother at home and alleviate the system so she's not in the ER every two weeks or every three weeks and when I was trying to advocate for my daughter I wasn't allowed to advocate for her but now that she's gone I can have all the information. So I came to that understanding of how the healthcare system is really not accounting for any vulnerable sector of our society unless you are a child that is considered to be the future of the country. And that has made all the difference. When you listen to how we arrived at my mother's diagnosis and what followed, it's so easy to see her just as the patient. To see her as nothing more than the disease that reduced her to shell of her old self. But I want also to tell you about my mother, the person, the fierce woman that told her stories unapologetically, celebrating the beautiful parts and harsh realities equally. I want to share with you the stories she told us about her life as a girl growing up in a small village, the tales that marked her adulthood. I want to share with you all her losses and the ultimate winnings. (music) The following chapter is one of those stories reconstructed from my childhood memory. Her father's words, my daughter will be divorced, hummed in the air, muting all the other sounds around it. Even Timira's daughter, with girls her age playing skip rope outside the circle, stopped in mid-jump. She dropped the rope and stared at Timiro. A boy peeked out from behind the tree he was hiding, risking losing the hide-and-seek game he'd been involved in since the morning. Another girl, not older than five, stood in the last spot of the hopscotch boxes, one foot on the ground, the other raised in mid-air, ready to reach the winning milestone she'd worked so hard for. There are two children here. Hassan's elder spoke in a measured tone. We need to think about the children first. So he could kill her? Timura's father matched the elder's tone letter by letter and called me to collect her remains. Next to her father on one side and Hassan, his father and the elder on the other, Timura turned to her father. Those are my children too, she wanted to say. But her father didn't see her. Perhaps he chose not to see her. The children need their mother, Hassan's father added. They need their mother alive, not dead. The elder from Timur's village brought that salient point home. He kills her, then what? Whether the elder from Timur's village heard the story of Hassan's first wife or he reached a conclusion by seeing her battered body. It was hard to tell, but his statement reminded her of something her mother had said once. An absent mother is better than a dead one. Indeed, she'll be protected. Hassan's father attempted to resolve a problem he knew he had no control over. The same protection you'd given her for the last... Six years? Her father's question needed no answer. Hassan must divorce my daughter and today. Timura's father restated his demand. But Hassan said nothing as others around him discussed his marriage. What was he thinking, Timura wondered quietly, and she watched him closely. His gaze fixed on the space between his feet. He used a stick in his hand to draw shapes before him. She will have to leave two small children behind. You realize that? Hassan's elder presented that as a question, even though it was a fact, an irrefutable fact. On some level, Timira knew sending in for her father she'd send a chain of events she didn't want. The outcome predictably led to losing her children. Because everyone knew the children drew their lineage from their father's tribe. The custom dictated the children belonged to their land, to their father, and among their people. Even then, the depth of her loss didn't hit her until that statement reached her ears. Walking away from her children was the last thing she wanted to do. Is that not what her mother had done, leaving Timiro reeling from the loss, years after its impact first hit her? Was she going to inflict the same pain on her young children? If that's the only way to ensure her safety, Tamiro's father spoke as firmly as she'd ever heard him speak, then she would leave the children behind. Those were his grandchildren, and she knew he loved them. He must have loved them like the baby she'd lost. She knew it would hurt him to walk away from them, but he loved her more. She was his baby, and he would do whatever it took to protect her. She only wished that protection didn't extend to losing her children. She is my child to worry about. Her father said as if he'd read her racing thoughts. You don't expect me to let you beat her until she dies? Her father's hand shook as he rested on Timira's knee. For the children to have a dead mother? His hand shook even more. Timira placed hers over her father's hand to steady it. She almost lifted their intertwined fingers and asked him to forget the entire thing, to leave her with her children, to go home without her. The pain that corroded in her insides after her mother's left bubbled in the pit of her stomach. The hole dug by the abandonment she felt gaped at the sound of her new reality. Yet she could do nothing. No action or words would change the course on which she was on. When the negotiation of what she would be allowed to take or leave behind began, she sat there numb with worry. She had no words in her mouth, only a burning sensation that started from the sole of her feet and traveled upward, reaching her head. A deep heat of regret covered her entire body. She was so overtaken by the pain. Timur didn't notice Hassan staring at her intently until she heard his name called. Hassan? It was his elder trying to get his attention. By the stern tone in which the elder spoke the name, he must have addressed him more than once. Hassan turned away from her at that moment as if the sound of his name startled him from a trance. Did you hear the father's request? I did. Hassan sounded drowsy like he'd just been awakened from a deep slumber. And your answer is? Everyone knew that was the mute question. When stimulus father asked for a divorce. There was nothing Hassan or any of his people could do. She can go to hell. Hasan spared the words, but she will take nothing from my house, not the children, not the jewelry. Hasan turned to Timiro, his gaze fierce. Nothing. She showed no reaction. He didn't blink as his saliva flew out of his mouth and hit her forehead. Even when the two elders, her father, Hasan, his father, began negotiating about her future, as if she wasn't there. She remained still like a statue. She heard every word, each letter clawed at her, leaving her burning inside and out. The two children will remain with their father, Hassan's elder announced. Does Temera agree to that? Ibrahim, her three-year-old son, was sleeping on her lap by then. His head rested on her right elbow, his eyes closed. His mouth was slightly open and his chest rose and fell in an even rhythmic breath. She bent down and kissed his smooth chubby cheeks. Amina, sitting on the ground between her knees just a few moments before, wasn't there. Timur scanned the circle and saw her daughter laughing at a boy behind a small tree. The boy left his hiding spot and ran toward the bath that led to the main road out of the neighborhood. Her head tilted back a little. Amina chased the boy, not much older than her, in a game of hide-and-seek. We want a divorce. Her elder's response pulled Timura back into the trouble she was in. The children are yours to keep. Aren't they mine too? That was a nonsensical question because Timiro knew the answer. The children must be among their tribe, their father's tribe. No one responded to her. Hassan will financially support Timiro for the next three months, Hassan's elder said. In Timiro's ears, their voices merged. The two sides of the argument, hers and Hassan's, continued to battle over who got what. At the end of it all, Timura only had one request. Could I stay until after the children go to sleep? She was her mother's daughter, a coward like her mother. Leaving the moment things got hurt, she was choosing herself over her children. No other way to explain but cowardice. Perhaps she should have tolerated more like her mother-in-law had suggested after the first attack. To be a mother is to have tears fill your billow, she'd said to her at the time. What did that mean anyway? Was every mother expected to lead a miserable life? Maybe she should have taken the advice, but she didn't. She'd sent for her father, watching out for herself. She was doing the same now, for she didn't want to deal with two wailing children the pain of watching her 6-year-old damina and 3-year-old ibrahim fall apart would have been too painful for her there you have it it was all about her she had to get out of her marriage because she feared for herself and now she wanted to leave after putting the children to bed to protect herself <laughs> Upon returning from the meeting that evening, Hassan took his favorite stool and stationed himself next to his father in the courtyard. He watched Timiro intently as she worked with her mother-in-law fixing dinner. His eyes never left her as if she would disappear if he looked away. Timiro had seen Hassan upset. She'd seen him angry, but she'd never seen him as livid as he was that evening. His eyes shone like little saucers about to fly out of his head. His forehead furrowed so deep that she was certain the creases would leave their mark on his face. When their eyes met, which lasted only a fraction of a second, he mumbled something she couldn't hear. She knew he dared not attack her with her father and their elder still in the city but the fear of what he might do rattled her still. When he spoke, Hassan uttered single words and phrases filled with grievances. A divorce? He grunted to no one in particular. With two children? His father, less than four feet away from him, said nothing. He didn't even look up from the book he was reading. It was hard to tell if he'd heard his son's words. Timido moved about Hassan's house, that evening as if things were normal, as if her father wasn't waiting for her at the market, ready to whisk her away the moment night fell. Amina, only few days shy of her sixth birthday, must have noticed something was amiss. Her three-year-old brother Ibrahim in tow, they stayed close to Timido more than they'd done before. Help me get your brother ready for bed. Timira wanted to distract her daughter from asking questions she wasn't ready to answer. Bring him his bedclothes. Timira sat down and put her daughter in her lap when Ibrahim was asleep. Amina rested her head on Timira's chest, her tiny fingers rising with every inhale, only to fall with the next exhale. She must have known what was coming the next day. For she refused to go to her cot like she'd done since she was three years old. Hoya, are you okay? Amina smiled. Her large brown eyes shone against the golden rays of the oil lamp. Timiro's hand on Faduma's forehead. She tried to return the smile. "I'm fine," Timiro lied to her daughter, like her mother had when she told her she needed rest after Isaac's death to never wake up. You go to sleep now, Timmy placed her daughter in her cot for the last time. Good night, she kissed Amina on the forehead. My peace be upon you, she kissed Ibrahim next and blew the oil lamp off. She plunged the room with her children into utter darkness in one breath. The sense of a sudden and impenetrable wall between her and her children engulfed her. The tears she'd been holding back gushed at the sound of the latch catching the door. You're crying? Hassan hissed at her. Why are you crying? She said nothing to him. I have to go. She directed the statement to Hassan's father. As part of the agreement, he was to take her to her father after she put the children to bed. Hassan stood up and gathered his shawl around him. This is all you're doing he said with so much force. You destroyed this family. He got up, went into his room, and closed the door behind him so hard, the frame shook with the impact. Under the blanket of the silence that descended upon the house in the wake of Hassani's violent departure, Timira walked over to her mother-in-law. This is goodbye, she said. It is, I am afraid, her mother-in-law bypassed Timira's extended hand and pulled her in for the tightest hug she had in a long time. May Allah be with you. May Allah be with you. Timur looked at Hassan's mother. Her eyes were filling tears just like Timur's were. I am sorry. Her mother-in-law took her in her arms again. In that moment, Timira saw Hassan's mother's soft sight emerge the sight of her that loved her like her daughter, the sight that wanted to protect her even though she knew she couldn't decide, a hug and kindness to Timiro were only possible while Hassan wasn't present. I am sorry too, Timiro was sorry, even though her and her mother-in-law might not have been sorry over the same thing. Hassan's mother hugged Timiro again. And they stayed at till her father-in-law cleared his throat to declare he was ready to go. I will send you a word about them when I can. Timira's mother-in-law whispered before she let her go. Had she read her mind and known what she wanted but didn't know how to ask? Thank you. And with that, Timira turned around and followed Hassan's father out the door. And away from her children My Mother The Person and the Patient can be found in Amazon Music Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts Please remember to follow like and share and join me next week as I share with you another episode of My Mother's Journey as both the person and the patient. Thank you.